I'm going to read a short passage of scripture from the, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, verse 27 to 30, and then we'll come to our text for the sermon after this. Usually we have a scripture reading early in the service that matches and fits uh, the passage I'm going to preach from. So Matthew 5, verse 27 to 30. Jesus is teaching the crowds on the mountain, and he's teaching his disciples and says, You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Before we come to the word, let's just go to the Lord again. We did say on our online prayer meeting just before the service. Uh, but let me lead you in prayer for the sick in our church and not only in our church, worldwide we know but especially for God's people. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we draw near to the throne of grace again, and we cannot come enough. Lord, we know that the door is open to us. You commanded us in your word that we should ask and it will be given to us. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And so we come indeed asking for our daily needs. But first we give you praise and honor, glory and thanksgiving, for you are the mighty one. You are the exalted one. You are the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. You created all things and you uphold all things in creation by the word of your power. You purified us from our sins by the blood of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, you now are seated in the most high place at the right hand of the Father. We exalt you. We worship you. We glorify you. We magnify you and we bow in praise and adoration before you, the Holy One. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You, of whom we read in the Bible, you were and you are and you will be. You are forever and ever. The heavens you will roll up like a scroll, but your years of no end you do not change. And we come to you with boldness, drawing near to the throne of grace. We who stand in the presence of the Most High, we who can come with confidence, free access through the blood of the Lamb. And we bring our requests before you, O mighty King. We petition you, O Lord of glory, and ask that you would help this church also with a number of our people who are ill, people who are suffering, people who are also, um, they've, they have hurt in their hearts, they have pain because of the death of loved ones, people who are suffering financially because of the economy and lockdowns, people who have lost their jobs, people who are moving to, another, to other towns soon, and just in general, we bring these needs, but more than these, Lord, 
we bring the spiritual needs of your people. For even if we are healed of our illnesses, of our diseases, what would that help if we are far from you? So we pray that you would draw us near to your side, that you would draw us near and like the Apostle John who lay in your bosom when you inaugurated the Lord's table. Sweet fellowship with Jesus, close communion with the Lamb of God, with the Lion of the tribe of Judah, with our heavenly Bridegroom, with our Father in heaven, with our friend, with our Lord, with our God, with our Saviour. And we pray, Lord, that you would please sustain us with the bread of life, satisfy us, quench our thirst with the water of life. And whether then in sickness or in health, you are our God. And by your grace, we will remain faithful to you right to the end, just as you are faithful to us. And even if we are unfaithful, you remain faithful, for you cannot deny yourself. Great is your faithfulness. O God, my Father, we praise you that your mercy is on you every morning. Encourage your people. Bear us up and let the everlasting arms be beneath us to carry us through time of difficulty and trial. We pray this for your people in all the earth, not only because of people getting sick, but also those who are persecuted, who are suffering for the faith, who love Jesus more than they love their own lives. And we pray for your blessing upon your church, for the extension of your kingdom, and for the glory of your name. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord will be praised. Amen. So you can turn in your Bible now to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. And I'm going to preach this, as I said this morning, I'm going to preach this in two parts. We're continuing the series on marriage and family. I'm on uh, sermon number 16, I think, on this series. And there are about 31 sermons in this series, so we're halfway. And tonight I'm preaching on pornography and adultery which are real problems in Christian, even Christian marriages, sadly, but they are real problems. As we see in 2 Samuel 11, where the man after God's own heart commits adultery and murder. So I'm only going to look at the first five verses this evening. I'll read that for us, and then next week we're going to look at the rest of the chapter. I just split it up, not for uh, any special reasons, just it's too much material for one sermon. Now, I read it on a website, on, actually on Sunday Times. The website is called Times Live. I was looking for statistics on pornography and adultery, just checking what, what are the stats in South Africa and worldwide, and I came across this article on Times Live that spoke about a website that is designed for people who do not want to get divorced, but they don't want to be loyal to their spouse either, to their husband or wife. They actually want someone else on the sideline. And so this website is designed where you can actually cheat on your spouse and it's secret. They keep all your information secret. So you've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend on the sideline while being married, 
because you don't want to go through the drama of divorce, all the costs and court cases and fighting and splitting up the children and so on. What a, dis a terrible thing to have something like that. And, you know, worst of all is that a number of the people on websites like that are in Christian churches. And the reason I know this is because after 20 years of Christian ministry, of pastoral ministry, I've seen in counseling, in visitations, in church discipline cases, and just in rubbing shoulders with other pastors, I've seen and known of Christians and pastors who have committed adultery, who have gotten divorced because of that, and who are addicted to pornography. And as I said in the beginning of the sermon, here we see David, King David, in 2 Samuel 11. This is a man after God's own heart. And this man committed adultery, adultery, and murder. So let none of us watching this sermon, let none of us listening to this sermon think, I will never do that. I will never be addicted to pornography. I will never be enslaved. I will never commit adultery. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, let him that thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So let's read the story of David and Bathsheba. Those are the first two characters, and next week we'll continue with the rest. Verse 1 to 5, 2 Samuel 11. In the spring of that year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites. They destroyed them and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired. He tried to find out about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, slept with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, concepsi, plasphophant. And she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. You know, it's very easy to pull out a tree when the tree is little. If that tree grows and you leave it and it becomes a big tree, that's another story. It's going to be very hard to remove that tree. And so it is with adultery. What you want to do with this sin of adultery, you want to root it out. You want to destroy the sin while it is still small. Uh, like James tells us in James, in Afrikaans, Jacobus, uh, James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, James talks about temptation, and then he says, <clears throat> but each person is tempted when he is lured, he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, concepsi, 
gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So where do you want to deal with sin? Where do you want to fight sin? At the desire level. Not just not when it comes to the deed of adultery. You want to kill that sin long before that. You want to pull out that tree when it's small. You want to get rid of everything that leads up to adultery. And that is what we see in, in these verses. Second uh, Samuel 11, verse 1 to 5. Here we see what are the things that lead up to adultery that's going to eventually end in adultery in Achbriak. Now we see David's sin. Where does David's sin start? David's sin starts with pride. And we know that because in chapter 8 and chapter 10, we read, we read of David's victories, how God gave David victory. For instance, chapter 8 in verse 6 at the end, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Chapter 8, verse 14 at the end, the Lord gave victory to David, where, David wherever he went. And then in chapter 10, there's the, the battle against the Syrians and the Ammonites, and God gives victory to David's army. So David has now grown proud. David is now, he's conceited. David has now grown self-satisfied and overconfident. And so instead of going out to battle, as verse 1 says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, where's King David? Why is David not in battle? No, I can stay at home. I don't need to fight in war in battles anymore. I can just relax. Um, and I, I can send Joab, my general. I can send the army. They can do it for me. I'll stay home in Jerusalem. You see, it's, it's when we start forgetting, when we forget that it's the Lord that has brought you where you are. It's the Lord that has given you success. It's the Lord that has given you the promotion at work. It's the Lord that has given you salary increase. Your pay has been raised. It is the Lord that has given you uh, children that have reached success in life or done well at school. It is the Lord who has prospered you and helped you and given you health and all these things. But then we grow overconfident. Then we, we, we become self-sufficient. And we think, I've done this. Also, self-verseeker. I've done this. I've arrived. And we start praising ourselves. And the moment that happens, you start neglecting God. You start pushing God to the side. No more Bible reading. No more prayer. Because who needs God if I have myself? I have arrived. I have done it. And the moment that happens, you fall. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before a fall. And a haughty spirit, a a haughty spirit goes before a fall. You climb high, and the higher you climb, the further you fall. James chapter 4 verse 6 warns, God opposes the proud. God will be against you if you are proud. God will be your enemy if you are proud. I remember Martin Holt telling a story about pastors. There were actually some statistics where he had, he had spoken to a number of pastors, but there, there were these stats of pastors that had, fall, that had fallen into sexual sin. And it was found that of all those pastors who had fallen into sexual sin, where did it start? They started neglecting God. They started neglecting their prayer time, serious and, and upright prayer time. They started neglecting God's Word. And the next thing you know, they fell into sexual sin. Why? Pride. Pride. I don't need the Word. I can just prepare my sermons and study for my sermons. I don't need personal devotions like ordinary Christians. I don't need a quiet time like, like my church members. I just study the Bible for, for preaching. Another thing that led to David's downfall was idleness and Afrikaans ledigheid, laziness. 
idleness. So David, where is he? Verse 1. End of the verse, David remained at Jerusalem. Verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. What is David doing sleeping while his men are at war, while the men are on the battlefield? But David's just relaxing in Jerusalem. And that's where the problems start. Listen, if you have nothing to do, the devil will find you something to do. Idle hands. You see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, where Paul speaks in verse 10 of people who are too lazy, they won't work. And the next verse, they start meddling in other people's business, interfering in other people's matters, and they go from house to house, they're busybodies, they start gossiping. 1 Timothy 5, verse 13, the same. Women drinking tea from house to house, gossiping because they got nothing to do because the church is paying them. The church is supporting them where actually these young women should get married, these young widows, and have children and raise their children. Be busy. So, so keep yourself busy with the right stuff. Start your day with the Lord in reading His Word, spending time in prayer. And then put in a full day's work. And if you haven't got a job, I, I said this to a couple of our guys recently, if you haven't got a job, your job is for eight hours a day to find a job. Spend your time looking for work. And then spend time with your family and serve others in the church, be involved as far as time allows you. And then at night, you sleep. <laughs> That's part of God's will for you. It's better to be industriously asleep, said Spurgeon, than lazily awake. Peter om werkzaam in die slaap te wees as wakker te wees met jy is leid. Sometimes the godliest thing a Christian can do is go to sleep. Because <laughs> that's God's will for you to get a good night's rest. And if you work hard in the day, you'll be tired at night. And if you're tired at night, what will you do? Not watch pornography, not commit adultery. You'll sleep because you worked hard and you're tired. Another thing that led to David's downfall, that these are the steps down, pride, idleness. Here's the next step. It's, it's moving to adultery and then murder. The next step is lust, valus in Afrikaans, lust. So here you see David in verse 2. It happened late one afternoon. David arose from his couch. Now he's walking on the palace roof. Remember, the roofs in ancient Israel and even modern Israel, I think, many of the houses' roofs, they flat roofs. And so you can walk on the palace roof, and the palace is higher than the other buildings So in Jerusalem. So David is walking on the roof, and from up there he looks down, he can see right into the other houses and onto their roofs and through their windows, and he sees a woman taking a bath, and she's a very attractive woman. She's a pretty woman, she's a beautiful woman. And actually, he's more than just looking at this woman. The Hebrew when it says David saw a woman, the Hebrew is in an imperfect tense. The imperfect tense means it's something that happened in the past, a past continuous tense. So David keeps on looking at this woman. David is staring at this woman. David is lusting after this woman, desiring her sexually. So where do you want to go if you, if you want to overcome adultery, sexual sin? Where do you start? You start by fighting lust. So if you want to avoid breaking the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you fight the tenth commandment that says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not desire your neighbor's wife. 
That's what I read in Matthew just now, where Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 28, verse 27, you've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, verse 28. But I say to you, <coughs> everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, this year intensity, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You thinking in your mind, I wish I can see her naked. You thinking in your mind, I would love to have sex with that woman. And so that is adultery in the mind already. And lust, lust cannot satisfy you. Lust cannot bring, bring ultimate pleasure and ultimate satisfaction. Proverbs 27 verse 20 and, and Ecclesiastes, prediker, spreker and prediker. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 8. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. The ear is not satisfied with hearing. So the eye is not satisfied with seeing. You're going to look and you're going to see. And what do you want next? You want more. And then you see it again and you want more. And you, it will never satisfy. It cannot satisfy. Because you weren't designed, you weren't created like that. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 15 and 16 describes lust. And it describes it with different metaphors and different examples and illustrations. It's like a fire. The fire never says enough. It always wants something else to burn. So you can burn down a forest, and if it's burned down all those trees, it wants another tree to consume. Or it's like a leech, a blitzer. It's never satisfied. It wants to suck more and more. It wants more and more blood. And so lust is. It wants more and more. It's like the woman in John chapter 4, in verse 18, where Jesus talks of a woman. He talks to her, actually, and says, you've had five husbands. And now you're on to number six. You're not even married to him. You're just living with him. You can almost see this woman just saying, if I can have another man and another man and another man. No, I know that one was trash and that one chased me away, but this man will make me happy. This one will satisfy me. So it's this drive. It's this uh, lust. As a, it's like a bottomless pit. It can never be filled. Only the Lord can fill us. Only Jesus can satisfy that inward desire that inward longing. It was created for him. Where Jesus says, if you drink of the water I give you, you'll never be thirsty again. Or eat of the bread of life. I am the bread of life. If you eat of this bread, you'll never be hungry again. So don't give in. Don't give in because what pornography does, what lust does, it promises you pleasure. It promises you happiness, but it never delivers. It doesn't give the happiness that it promises. It lies to you. That's Satan's bait. That's Satan's trick. Don't give in when pornography promises pleasure because it's not going to give you pleasure. It's temporary pleasure. It's for a moment, but you're going to be caught in its trap. So the solution to this is like, like one pastor said, when let's say you're walking in the mall and there's an ugly picture or advert of a woman in underwear. You look away, you, turn, you, you, look away, you turn away, and you walk away. Avoid those things that... That, that tempt you to lust. Avoid those things that tempt you to lust. And get rid of those things. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. It's better to enter heaven with one hand and one eye than go to hell with both hands and both eyes. Ro Romans chapter 13 verse 14. The Apostle Paul, and this was actually how Augustine was converted, an early church father, one of the, the great preachers in the early church, uh, around the year 400. Uh, that's how Augustine was converted. August, Augustine had a terrible battle with lust. And he was constantly falling into sexual sin and having women on the side and living with a woman and having a kid with her and 
when Augustine got saved, or actually just before he got saved, he, he battled with lust, saying, how will I conquer this? How will I conquer this? And eventually he cried out one day and said, how long am I going to say tomorrow? Tomorrow I will conquer this. Tomorrow I will stop. Why not now? Why not now? And he heard a kid playing in a yard next door saying, take up and read, take up and read. And he thought, I've ne I never heard a, a game like that, take it and read, or take up and read. And so he thought, maybe that means I should go to the Bible. And so he went to his scroll, and the first thing he saw on the table there, a scroll of the book, the, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, and he, the first verse he saw was Romans 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its lusts, to satisfy its desires. Bekleel my die Jesus Christus, en moet nie geleentheid skep vir jou vlees, vir jou sondige begeerte, om sy liste te bevredig nie. And the Lord saved Augustine there and then. And he set him free. So get rid of the things that tempt you to lust. For instance, get rid of friends who tempt you to lust. Get rid of that, that evil relationship you're in. That person, cut it off, break it off, break it clean. Delete them on Facebook, delete them on WhatsApp, block their numbers. It's like Joseph in Genesis 39 verse 10 where Potiphar's wife, she's tempting Joseph, saying, sleep with me, sleep with me. And Joseph, it says in Genesis 39, he refused to even be with her. Don't even be in the person's presence. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 8 says, stay away from her door. Do not even go near to the door of her house. <clears throat> That's the foolish thing we do. That's the foolish thing you hear young people coming to their youth pastor and saying, how far can my girlfriend and I go before it's sex, before it's sin? That's, that's the wrong question. The right question, is not, or the, the right question is not how close can I go to sin, but how far can I stay away from sin? You know the story of, of the, the man in Switzerland who offered a job, a very rich man living in a mansion in the Alps, and he offered a job to someone, a chauffeur, to drive his daughter to school every day. And the men came for the interview and he had only one question. How close can you drive that car to the edge of the cliff without throwing the car down? And the first one said one meter. The second one said 30 centimeters. And the third one said, I don't know because I'll be hugging the other side. I won't go near to the cliff or, or go near that cliff. And obviously he got the job. Try to see how far you can stay from sin, not how close you can get without sinning. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Don't trick yourself. Bad company, bad friendships corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. Slechte vriendskappe bederf goeie morele waardes. You can have the best morals in the world, the best moral values. You mix with evil people, they're going to influence you. You're going to catch COVID and die. You're going to catch the sickness of sin and die. Proverbs 13, verse 20. He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. You make friends with evil people, with foolish people. You, you're going to regret that. They're going to pull you down. So don't even think about the person. Don't even let your mind wander and start daydreaming about the person. If it comes into your head, kill the thought and replace it with godly thoughts, with good thoughts, with biblical thoughts. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25. Don't desire her beauty in your heart. Don't even desire her beauty in your heart. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 25. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. 
He's not even talking about the action now. He's just talking about the thoughts. What you want to do is fill your thoughts with good things. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Colossians 3 verse 2. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, or just whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there be any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Philippians 4 verse 8. So get rid of those things. And then, then get not only people, but get rid of things that remind you of the person. Maybe the person gave you an expensive watch. Maybe the person bought you expensive perfume, bought you expensive gifts. Maybe the person even gave you a car. Maybe the person uh, wrote letters to you. Get rid of those things. Because they remind you of the person. They'll tempt you to go back and fall into sin. <coughs> and then also get rid of clothes, especially the ladies, but this might go for men too. But I think ladies especially, get rid of immodest clothing. Get rid of clothes that tempt men. Low blouses, short skirts. Uh, 1 Timothy 2 verse 9 tells women to dress modestly, biscaya in Afrikaans. Not clothes that will tempt people sexually. My sister, when she became a Christian, she burnt her clothes. She, took all, she went through her closet, her cupboard, and she took out all the clothes that were immodest. And she put it in a braai and she set it alight. And her, girl, her daughter was crying, Mommy, why are you burning your clothes? She says, because it doesn't make Jesus happy. <laughs> it doesn't please him and it will tempt people to sin. Cut off your internet. If your internet tempts you to watch pornography, cut it off. If your TV tempts you, cut it off. If your cell phone tempts you, cut it off. Throw away those ugly DVDs you have pornographic DVDs, things that tempt you. And for the ladies, maybe your pornography is not visual, but you're reading books that are not godly. It's not pleasing to God. Romances, and it's erotic, and it's erotic. It's telling a story about how they fall in love, and they embrace, and they start kissing, and later on they start undressing, and eventually they fall into bed. The music that tempts you to have sexual thoughts, get rid of it. Throw it in the trash can. Throw it in the dustbin. And then also avoid places that tempt you to lust. Some of you men shouldn't have a contract at the gym. You should cancel your contract. And you say, but I can't cancel it. I have to pay to the end of the year. It's, the, it's a year contract. Then stop going to the gym. And then you lose the money. So what? So what? Cut off your hand. It's better to say, I lose the money and go to heaven than keep the money, keep on going, fall into, or be tempted to lust, fall into sin and go to hell. I needed to stop gymnastics because of that. I did gymnastics as a kid for many years, and then I grew up, and I became a young man, and eventually I said, I cannot do gymnastics anymore. I spoke to a friend, and I said, what would you suggest? He would say, cut it off. And I did. I'd rather save my marriage and be a godly man and live a life pleasing to God than keep on doing something I really enjoy but being tempted to lust. And then ask someone to hold you accountable. Accountable. If you're a man, ask another man. Hold me accountable. Ask me, did you lust? How's it going? Did you watch pornography? How, how's the battle going? And if you're a lady, ask another lady. And say, please, hold me accountable. Ask me the hard questions. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22, but flee youthful passions. As for you, flee youthful passions. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 
Hebrews 3 verse 13, exhort one another every day as exhort, firman. Geem mekaar instructie, moedig mekaar aan. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let us help one another. And don't be too proud to say, you know, I'm struggling with lust. You know, I'm struggling with pornography. I need help. I can't do this alone. I've tried. And it doesn't work. Get someone to help you. That's why we're here, right? We're here for one another. Galatians 6 verse 1. When someone falls into sin, we help them up. And then do everything in your power. It's actually in line with all of this. David is lusting. And we're trying to say, avoid anything that will tempt you to lust. But do everything in your power to flee from sexual sin. Even if you have to resign your job. Because someone at work is tempting you. Someone at work is flirting with you. Someone at work is even, maybe you've committed adultery with them. Even if you need to quit your job and find a new job, do so. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, flee sexual immorality. A little, a little poem, it's just two lines by John Piper. I heard this in a sermon many years ago. He says, do whatever you must in order to win the battle with lust. Now some people are going to say to me, but I can't go without a cell phone. I know it's tempting me, but I need a phone for my job. I can't go without internet. We use internet at our workplace, so I have to have it. Well, then get a phone without internet if the internet in your phone is tempting you, but you need a phone. Get a phone without internet or put Google Family on your phone and someone can check and, and control what happens on your phone. No password on your phone. No password on your computer. Anyone can check at any time. And then turn your computer screen to the door. Right to the door where everyone can see the screen. An open door always. And they can see what you're doing on your computer screen. And then install Covenant Eyes on your phone. Or whatever other safety app you can use. Uh, install something on your phone, on your computer, on your tablet, your iPad. That others can control that. And can see what are you looking at. And whatever you open, if you open, go to such a site. It'll send an email to your friends. Look at what he watched or look at what she's looking at now you hear all these things I'm saying and some of you still have excuses for why you cannot do that and the, the reason is possibly because you do not really want to battle the sin you do not really want to leave your sin and so you've got excuses for why you can't do this and why you can't do that and so on now some of you do want to leave your sin and even if you really do want to leave your sin I want to tell you these practical strategies I just gave you, you need more than that if you're going to win the battle against lust, if you're going to win the battle against pornography, against sexual sin. You need more than that. You need more than practical strategies. You need more than accountability on spreeklikheid if you want to conquer, if you want to win. What you need is a new heart because if you have an evil heart, if you have a bad heart, I don't care what strategies you put into place. If your heart is evil and you really want to watch pornography, you're going to find a way to do it. So the heart needs to change. So ask the Lord. Ask the Lord, Lord, please give me a new heart. Give me a new heart that will battle against sin, that wants to battle against sin, that can battle against sin, Proverbs, uh, not Proverbs, Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27, that speaks about God removing the heart of flesh, a heart of stone, and giving you a heart of flesh. And then it says in the next verse that He will place His Spirit inside of you, and the Holy Spirit will make you 
Walk in God's statutes and in God's laws. Die geest sal maak dat jy in Godse inzettinge en geboeie wandel, dat jy gehoorzaam is. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will as well as to work according to his good pleasure. God will make you willing. God will make you able. God will help you to battle and to conquer the sin. But you should come to the Lord and trust that the blood of Jesus is enough to purify your heart. The power of the Spirit is enough to change your heart, to give you a new heart that desires the right thing. And then you start as a Christian, you start using God's Word as your sword. You start studying the Scriptures, memorizing the Scriptures, hiding it in your heart. And you pray for help lots and lots and lots. You go to the Lord and you trust Him and you grow in a life of prayer. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, says the psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 11. Verse 9 says, How shall a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your law. By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So you use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and you spend time in prayer, (coughs) calling on the Lord. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful as it is working. So you trust that God is powerful. You don't have the strength to break these chains. He does. And you start memorizing verses like Job chapter 31. Yop. Job 31 verse 1, where Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze at a virgin? How can I look at a woman with lust to say, Lord, help me. I am yours. This body belongs to you. And memorize verses like Matthew 5 that I quoted and I read earlier in the service. And then the moment temptation comes, you use the sword and say, no, This is what God says, and you quote your verse. Even if you haven't got it in memory yet, at least write it on a paper, put it in your pocket. I did that for many years, writing down verses, carrying them in my pocket every day, memorizing verses, memorizing verses. It was particularly because of this reason, fighting the battle with lust. And then also be thankful. That is an important thing. If you're going to win the battle with lust, be thankful. What do I mean? People who lust... And people who commit sexual sin, people who commit adultery, why do they do that? They're not thankful enough. They're not thankful. The married guys and married girls, they're not thankful. God has given me a husband. Thank you for my husband. God has given me a wife. Or the single people, you're not thankful enough. You're not thankful enough saying to the Lord, thank you that I can serve you as a single person. I can serve you in ways that married people can't. I can just uh, hop on a a bus and go to Malawi on a missions trip, a short-term missions trip and so on. Married people have to plan and they have to get the kids live with grandma and grandpa. You can just hop on the bus and do it. I remember an older pastor saying this to me. He said in um, probably about 2008 I was deeply convicted and I've shared my testimony how from my high school days I had this battle with lust And I was deeply convicted because he had preached on the qualification for elders, for pastors. And he said that an elder does not lust. He didn't use those words, but that's basically what it came to. And I knew how I had battled and struggled with lust for many years. So I went to see him with tears. I said to my wife that I don't qualify for ministry. This is my past. This is how I lived in my young days. And 
um, I spoke to him and he said to me, what has the past got to do with the present? And I'd repented of those sins, but I was still fighting with these things I'd seen in my high school days. It would come into my mind, visual images, and I would have to battle them and fight them. And sometimes it felt like a terrible fight that I could not win. I could not conquer these things, these thoughts. And then he said to me these words, I think your sin is, you're not thankful enough. When last did you thank God that you're a man and that you have normal passions? And I really didn't understand what he was saying. But years later, I understood. Ephesians 5, verse 3 and 4, verse 3, Paul says that we should get rid, we should put to death sexual sin, lust, uh, evil thoughts, and so on. And then the next verse, it shouldn't even be named among us as is proper among saints. Don't even, don't even, um, how does he put it? Don't even name those things. Don't even talk about sexually immoral things. And then, then he says, and be thankful, but be thankful. And then I got it. Oh, so if I thank God more for my own wife, and I, I make a point of it in my prayer, to say, Lord, thank you for my wife. Thank you for giving me a beautiful wife, an attractive wife that I can enjoy her. Oh, so lust is, this is not enough. I want more. You get it? And so start thanking the Lord more. If you want to conquer pornography, if you want to conquer lust, if you want to conquer adultery, it'll also help then in the same line or the same trend to have a healthy sexual relationship as a married person. Have a healthy sexual relationship with your wife, with your husband. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1 to 5 Paul says that is one of the reasons God designed and created sex in marriage. Why he gave it is so that we don't have to be immoral. You don't have to look at other women. You don't have to go around looking for other men. You've got a husband. You've got a wife. And if you're single and you're burning with lust, you're burning with passion, get married. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 8 and 9. You can go back to that sermon on how to find the right marriage partner. Now, what if you've tried those things? You're really doing all those things. You're memorizing the verses. You're fighting the battle, all of that. All of that but then you fall again. You fall into sin again. <clears throat> Don't lick your wounds. Don't sit in a corner having a little pity party, feeling sorry for yourself. Go to your Father in heaven immediately and confess your sin and repent of your sin. The righteous man falls seven times and he gets up each time. Proverbs 24, verse 16. <coughs> you go to your Father in heaven. Forgive us our sins, our debtors. We forgive our debtors. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Humble yourself and the Lord will exalt you. Humble yourself before God. And then this is something many Christians do not do. And I've I've taught this for many years. I didn't do it, I myself didn't do it for many years. And then I learned it from John Bunyan. And then as I started praying the Lord's Prayer every day, not reciting it, not just saying, saying the words, but using it as my pattern for prayer, now I make sure I don't miss this. Many Christians, when they sin, they pray, Lord, forgive me my sins, but they don't pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. They don't pray for protection every day. Jesus teaches us to pray, 
Lay ons hier nie versoeking nie, verlos ons van die bose. Pray that every day. Now maybe you say, you know, I've tried all these things you said, it doesn't work. The reason it doesn't work perhaps is you're giving up too soon. Believe God's promises. Believe what God has told you in His Word and do what God has told you in His Word. No temptation has overtaken you but is such as is common to man. God is faithful who will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. And with a temptation, he will give the, provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God will help you. You say, it's too much for me, I can't carry this. Yes, in your own strength you can't, can't. But if you come to God, have you relied on God? Have you cast yourself on Him, on His mercy, on His grace daily? <coughs> you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Put to death what is earthly in you. Don't use your body parts, your members, the members of your body as instruments for sin. Use your body as, and your body parts as instruments for righteousness, instruments to please God. Sin will not have dominion over you. It won't have power over you because you're not, not under law but under grace, says Romans 6. So you need to start believing God's promises. Well, this is what God says, and I will believe it, and I will use it, and I will obey it. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the lusts of the flesh. This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification, your heiligmaking, that you be holy. This is God's will for you. Abstain from sexual immorality. Control your body, it says. And you can. If God tells you you can, you must do this, He will give you the strength to do it. Trust Him. Ask Him. And continue doing it. Even if you trip again, you get up and you ask Him again. You confess again and you start again. God has called you to holiness. God hasn't called you to immorality. He's called you to holiness. Titus chapter 2, this is such an encouraging verse. Memorize this one and then quote it to yourself when you are tempted. Titus 2 verse 11 and 12. <coughs> for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, to renounce worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It is possible to be godly. It is possible to be righteous. It is possible to be holy. <coughs> it is possible to be obedient. We can do what God wants us to if we trust Him and ask Him and obey, do what He tells us in His Word. If you are a child of God, you are not a helpless slave of sin. You've been set free by the Son. John Piper gives this illustration. He says, imagine, he says, no one is absolutely addicted to pornography. Imagine a man sitting in a room, and he's sitting in front of a computer screen. He's got the, the mouse in his right hand, ready to click the button to view a filthy image, to look at a naked woman. And as he wants to press the button, someone walks in the back door and says, if you, if you press the button, I'll pull the trigger. The guy's got a gun in his hand. I'll kill you. I'll shoot you. Dead. 
John Piper says, will you press the button? And let's say you don't believe the guy, and the guy next to you presses his button, and he shoots him in the head. And he says, you press that button, I'll shoot you too. Will you press the button? You're not absolutely addicted to pornography. It's a choice you make, especially if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're enslaved to all sin. You need freedom. You need salvation through Jesus Christ. But if you're a Christian, you've been set free. You don't need to be addicted. By the Spirit's help, you can say no to sin. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 8 verse 13. And that will only happen. That will only happen. You will only put sin to death if you realize how serious sin is. You will only put sin to death if you realize if you don't kill sin, sin will kill you, to use the words of John Owen. You be killing sin, said the ancient Puritan, the old man. You be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So don't excuse your sin. Don't act as if it's not so bad. It's, it's really not such a serious issue. I remember a student, when I was a student, another student, he was caught watching pornography. And he said, what? I'm, I'm enjoying God's creation. If you're going to have that kind of attitude, if you're going to use that kind of reasoning, of course you won't fight, fight sin. And you won't conquer sin. I think of a movie that I watched, my family and I, it's called The Power of the Air. It's a Christian movie. And the movie is about how entertainment have, has even caught Christians in its snare, a sinful entertainment. And in the movie there's this African missionary a missionary from Africa, and he's talking, sitting at a table talking to an American Christian. And he says to him, you, you people think this is not such a big deal, being, you know, watching sinful entertainment, watching movies, movies with nudity and sex and uh, blaspheming the name of Jesus, OMG, and they use Jesus' name as a curse word. And he says, what will happen if I come to your church? Let's say I preach at your church on Sunday. <coughs> And while I'm busy preaching, suddenly I curse the name of Jesus. I swear. And I use Jesus' name as a curse word. What will the people do? Will they be shocked? Let's say I use it a second time and a third time. And then I call up a couple during the sermon saying, won't you come here? And this young couple on the stage, they start kissing and they start taking off their clothes. Won't there be some point where your church members cry out, stop, stop, stop this sinfulness. And yet 12 hours earlier, some of those very same church people, they were in the theater or they were in their homes on a big flat screen TV watching exactly the same things, nudity, sex, and blaspheming the name of God, and they call it entertainment. But you have a problem if that kind of thing would happen in church. You're a hypocrite. Douglas Wilson in his book, Reforming Marriage, says the same thing, <coughs> where Doug Wilson he, say, he, he, he sketches the scene. So this is not real. He's just making up this, this illustration. And he says, imagine this. There's two couples, husband and wife, husband and wife, uh, married couples, and they visit each other. And then they, these two are unbelievers. The other couple, they're Christians. And then the unbelievers say to the Christians, don't, want, don't you, we want to invite you to come to our house tomorrow night uh, to watch us having sex. And the Christian couple is shocked. They say, how can you ask us to do such a thing? And he says, well, I know my wife is not so beautiful, but 
Okay, maybe we can just tape record it. We can film it for you and then we give you the tape, the DVD, and you can watch it at your own leisure, in your house, no one bothering you. And the Christian says, no, we can't do that either. We're Christians. That goes against our Christian values. And then the unbeliever says, I don't understand. You invited us for a movie last weekend and there were nude scenes and sex scenes in the movie. You didn't have a problem with that. And then the Christian goes on to explain, yes, but you see, we're a certain kind, we're a certain breed of Christian. Uh, the kind of Christians we are, it's called hypocrites. It's going Ask the Lord, if you're addicted to pornography, you've fallen into this trap of pornography, ask the Lord to break the chains of pornography in your life. To break the bond. Psalm 107 verse 13 to 16, you see these people in prison. And then it says that the Lord can break iron bars. He can break bronze bars. Self's bronze. He can break the bars apart and set you free. And then also ask devoted Christians to help you. Galatians 6 verse 1. If my brothers, if someone is overcome by sin, if someone falls into sin, those who are spiritual should help him in a spirit of gentleness and keep a close watch on yourself that you, lest you too be tempted. So kijk naar yourself. No, you keep watching yourself, but tenderly and gently, if you're a devoted Christian, help that Christian. And if you're the Christian falling into sin, come humbly and say, I'm struggling. I don't know how to get out. Can you hold me accountable? Can you help me? Because if you do not stop pornography, it will lead to adultery. Pornography sal lei tot echtbreek. And you see it with David. Now we're back at the text. You see it with David. Here's David lusting after this woman, staring at this naked woman. And then he, he sends messengers to try and find, who is this woman? And he finds out, says verse 3, oh, she's Bathsheba, um, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah. So David knows she's married. And Eliam and Uriah are both some of David's bravest soldiers. They are of his mighty men, according to chapter 23, verse 34 and 39. But despite that, David knows this. He takes the woman and he sleeps with her, verse 4. Now verse 4 says that it's her time of purification. This reinigung state. She's just had her period, or maandstonde. And so she's actually, what, what the writer is saying, she can get pregnant. And that's exactly what happens in verse 5. Uh, the, the woman had a time of purification after their period, Leviticus 15. So that's why she's taking a bath. She's purifying herself, ritual purification. And then verse 5, it ends. It says, the woman conceived, she sent and told David, oh, I'm pregnant. So don't think that your sin will be without consequences. Daar sal gevolge wees vir sonde, vir seksuele sonde, vir echtbreek. Don't think your sin will be without consequences. And you see this in David's case. It was this unwanted pregnancy. He didn't plan for the girl, the woman to get pregnant, but she did get pregnant. But that was only the beginning of his problems. Because in the next chapter, chapter 12, God lets the child get sick and the child dies. Chapter 12, verse 15. Nathan went to his house and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and he became sick. And we know the end of the story. The child dies. I remember in our church, many years ago, more than 10 years ago now, 
some, someone in our church uh, fell into sin. It wasn't sexual sin, thankfully, but he fell into sin and he did run away from his wife. And even when we spoke to him, he wouldn't repent. And we told the church, the day we announced it, a third step of church discipline, the day we announced it to the church members at a meeting, we told them to pray and fast for the man. And that very same day, his son was in a motor accident. Uh, he turned over the car on a gravel road. And thankfully, he didn't get hurt. But that was just like a wake-up call. You see the same year. You see the same year. If you fight against God, you're going to lose the battle. R.C. Sproul says, quote, There are no draws with God. No split decisions. When we wrestle with the Almighty, we lose. He is the undefeated champion of the universe. God's discipline is no joke. It's no laughing matter. So if you're on the wrong road, you're listening to the sermon, you're on a wrong path, turn around. Turn around right now. And turn back to God. And God will forgive you. You see that with David in Psalm 32, where David has has fallen into sin, and he repents. He stops covering his sin, stops hiding his sin. He repents, he confesses it, and there's forgiveness. But if you continue on the road of sin, on the way of sin, then God's going to turn up the heat. The way of the transgressor is hard. He's going to make it difficult for you. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. And if you refuse to listen to admonition, to rebuke, to people showing you the right way, you will die. Now maybe you hear all of this that I said this evening and you simply don't care. You simply do not care because you have gotten away for years. You've gotten away for years and nothing has happened. So why are you all these threatenings from the Bible and this is nonsense? You are making a mistake if you think that God has not yet punished you because He doesn't care about your sin. The reason why God has not yet punished you is because God is patient with you, not wishing you to be lost, but wishing you to repent of your sin, to turn to Him. And if you keep on going on this path of destruction, this path of sin, this path of disobedience, the more you continue in sin, the further God draws back the snare of His bow. And someday God's going to leave the arrow. It'll come from the bow, from the string of the bow, that shaft will strike you and it will penetrate you and it will destroy you. And I'm not making up these things. I'm not trying to scare you. Maybe I'm speaking softer than I should. You'll be cast into the lake of fire. So why not, why not be wise? Why not rather repent of your sin? Turn from your sin. Ask the Lord, set me free like you did the woman in Luke 7, a prostitute. Jesus saved her. Jesus forgave her sin. Like the woman in John 8, go and sin no more. Like the woman in John 4, who's had five husbands, she's on to number six. Jesus saved her. Like a pastor I heard of in 1960, a pastor who committed adultery and then he realized, I'm not saved. And God saved him. Like a woman I know who was a serial adulterer, committing adultery multiple times, and God saved her. 
pornography and adultery are serious issues because they lead to hell like every other sin. But no sin is so great that Jesus cannot purify you with His blood. Our Father, we pray for Your grace even upon Christians who have fallen into the sin, Christians listening to this sermon right now, who are guilty of these very things, Lord, have mercy. Lord, rescue and save. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And for people listening to the sermon, watching it, and they are not saved. Their continual disobedience proves they do not belong to Jesus. Save them, O Lord. Set them free. Break the bars of iron and the bars of bronze, the chains, the shackles of Satan and sin, and set them free. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just close with a benediction, a short prayer, and a verse I want to read to you from Psalm 32. This is David, and possibly David during the time when he was hiding his sin. Here's a blessing. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Amen. The Lord bless you. Until next Sunday.